we would like to first acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional gathering grounds for many diverse First Nations, Métis and Inuit whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continue to enrich our vibrant community. We would also like to take a moment today in honor of Aboriginal Veterans Day, which just recently passed on November 8th. And we would like to take this moment to acknowledge the many thousands of Indigenous people who have served and continue to offer service in Canada. In the episode description, you'll find a link to a special episode of Unreserved with Rosanna Deerchild, where she explores the contribution of Indigenous veterans. Hello, and welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. I'm Brittany Eckland, and I'm here, as always, with Dylan Cave. Today's episode is all about those dollar-dollar bills, y'all. We're talking crypto, financial literacy, and why you should and can start saving now. Here in studio with us today is Dr. Eloisa Perez. She's an associate professor in the Department of Accounting and Finance at McEwen University. She received her PhD in entrepreneurship from the Autonomous University of Barcelona. That's in Spain! Before shifting her career to academia, she worked for Citibank in credit analysis and as a treasurer and controller in the pharmaceutical industry. Most recently, Dr. Perez is working on developing online modules, courses, and resources aimed at improving the financial literacy for young adults. Hi, Louisa. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for inviting me, Brittany. A hundred percent. So, yeah, the first thing I guess that we want to know is what attracted you to accounting and finance? How did you get to um, get involved with this field of work? Um, I, I have a, my first um, um, study was um, BBA, uh, Bachelor in Business Administration. Um, and um, when I was studying, my first job <laughs> was in this area. So it was the first job that I found, and I started working, um, like I said, at Citibank doing um, credit analysis, uh, which is very much focused on accounting. Um, and I think that pretty much determined my <laughs> my specialization because I ended up pursuing this specialization in my BBA. Um, and um, after I, I jumped to another job that was also in the area of finance, and, and that's how it shaped my, <laughs> my, let's say, my specialization in a way. Because um, I always say that to my students that I feel uh, your first job sometimes determines what you end up doing um, for your life. Uh, it's not that I don't want to it to, uh, it to look like I, I didn't have a choice. Um, I started my first job in accounting and I loved it. I really like what I do. Um, so I just, you know, um, continue this path. And uh, after I went on to do a master's also in finance and, and then my PhD, which was in entrepreneurship, but with focusing in accounting and finance as well. So, you know, that's very lucky to fall into something that you immediately, you know, fall in love with. And like not many people, I think, start some of their first jobs as what they think they want to do for the rest of their lives. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think I was fortunate because <laughs> sometimes uh, we just, uh, you know, um, start a, a, an undergraduate degree um, and later on you you realize that's not what you like mm-hmm. or what you would like to do for the rest of your life. Um, and you know, 60000 plus dollars plus later. Plus dollars later, yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, okay, now I have to spend 120000 to do what I really want to do. Or exactly. Or if that's the case, you know. But um, yeah, it's worth it. 
Yes, it is because, um, like I said, it's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And <laughs> so you should be doing what you love, at least what you like and enjoy doing. 100%. So what exactly is finance? I know it's an extremely broad term, but like, can to, to you, would you give us a little description of kind of like what you mean by finance? Yeah, um, like, oh, sorry. No, I just wanted in. to say because like I'm also like I understand what accounting is but when people say like they study finance or they work in finance I'm like well that must encompass I mean doesn't everyone work kind of in finance like we all work for money and we all have to do our own finances so yeah when you talk about being a researcher and life being is finance teaches, you know um finance what does that mean yeah you're right uh it it's in our lives as individuals um not everyone pays attention or want to pay attention to that. Uh, the ones who do, uh, who does, um, tend to have, <laughs> you know, a better um, or more comfortable life because you end up investing your money in a, in a, you know, a better way. But uh, I tend to say to my students that, um, that, like you said, I know what accounting is. So accounting um, is a portrait, right? When you look at financial statements, so we look at what have happened. Right? what has happened in that company, and it's reflected in your financial statements. So we look kind of backwards. Uh, with finance, we are more looking forward because um, finance has to do with present value of future cash flows. Right. So um, when I look at an investment um, and when I'm making an investment decision, I'm, I look at different um, options and I say, okay, if interest rates behave this way, how much that investment would return to me. But if interest rates uh, behave in a different way, so I may have a different um, return on that investment. So we are trying to um, forecast what's going to happen in the future yeah. and make a decision today. Um, and, and that's, I think, the main difference between the two. But um, in terms of uh, uh, jobs and, and careers in finance, there's, you know, um, uh, um, th there are several ways you can you can pursue a career in finance. Um, starting for to work for a bank, for example, mm -hmm. is one way. Um, but you can work retail. You can work corporate. Um, you can also work for a private company. You can work for the government. You can work in a, you know um, in very in many different areas um, with a finance background. Okay, it's kind of like in the hospitality industry. We say like everyone's got to eat. And I guess in the finance business, like pretty much every operation, corporation, government, organization, business, like they have to have some kind of financial plan. So it's, yeah. it's all around us, but I think it's sometimes inaccessible to people just because they don't maybe understand things like what's a mutual fund? What's a, a GIC? What's a, I mean, cryptocurrency is now... A kind of thing that's on the scene. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I got yeah. some. I got something that I really need to ask you. But we're, we'll we'll get we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess as someone who works in the field, um, what about research into finance? Like, why is it so important, um, and how is the world of money changing? Well, like you said, well, it's changing because um, with the advent of um, cryptocurrencies, for example, which is something that has become more popular lately. Uh, but I think the field of finance is changing. Uh, I think the crowdfunding is something that has um, 
you know, a more disruptive, um, let's say, um, action into the, the field of finance. Because uh, when you think about the financing of, especially small businesses, startups, uh, this has always been um, a very difficult place for companies to be in terms of financing, obtaining financing from large banks. Uh, but with the advent of uh, crowdfunding, uh, crowdfunding has disrupted uh, this monopoly of large banks. Uh, and although it has not reached yet the point where um, it's really a threat, I believe, um, I think it it will be at some point. And cryptocurrencies talk to this too. Um, because cryptocurrencies is an unstructured um, mm-hmm. market for currencies, right? Uh, so some there are even some countries that have launched their own cryptocurrencies. If I'm not mistaken, I think Nigeria just, the, the Central Bank of Nigeria just launched um, a cryptocurrency uh, last week. So um, it's coming slowly, but, but truly. Um, I think the most important um, question that cryptocurrencies pose today is uh, regulation, because there is a room for you know uh, illicit activities um, using cryptocurrencies for mm-hmm. payment. Yeah, so that's, that, that's, that's really a challenge. That's a big, big reason why they're popular, right? Yes, it's one, yes, one of the main reasons why they're popular, besides their return. Yeah. Um, but there are some um, specialists that say that um, they are so expensive right now, or because they are, um, simply because of a problem of uh, supply and demand. There is too, too much demand, supply is, is limited, right? Which is funny to me because it being a, like a, a, almost a virtual crypto, uh, currency that there's a shortage, that there's a, there's a demand and there's not enough to go around. It's digital <laughs> to me, you know? It's like, can't they, can't they just like type a couple buttons and make more? It's more complicated. Yeah, of yeah, course, it's extremely is a little complicated. bit more complicated, but yes. Uh, so anyway, um, I mean, these those are um, some present um, you know challenge or challenge or disruptions or novelties in the field of finance. And uh, sorry, I forgot your first question. Research, right? You said researching. Yeah, finance. it was just like what kind of of research um, is happening in finance right now. We have many different. Um, lines of research in finance, like in any other field, um, some in money markets or, um, you know, the role of um, 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 return, um, stock returns and how, how the stock market re- uh, re- respond to different, um, you know, um, things that can happen to a stock. Mm-hmm. So um, events that may affect uh, the um, behavior of investors towards a stock. Like so the th- there's always this type stop. of... Like GameStop, yeah, yes. GameStop, which like I GameStop, still, yes. again, like I don't really understand so, what happened there, but it's it's outside manipulation of a market or yeah, something. Yeah, so back, um, you know, it's it's almost, what was it, six or eight months ago, uh, GameStop saw nearly a 1,500% growth uh, to its share price. And the increase was fueled by small investors from sites like Twitter, Reddit, mm-hmm. all, the, all those places. Uh, many be- people began investing in GameStop because several hedge funds have been uh, shorting its stock on, on that. So yeah. it, that was, was it was like the, 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 what was it, the housing crisis? Um, when, when, back when was that? There, there was a bit huge, 2008? The big housing crisis. I yeah, think like it, the bubble burst? Yeah, where... It was kind of like the same thing, was it not? I, I'm again, I'm very illiterate when it comes to <laughs> those thing type of things. 
I wanted to jump on the bandwagon with this GameStop thing, but it's just was like, whoa, <laughs> happened so fast. Yes, <laughs> happened so fast. And maybe you were late in the game when you, you decided to enter. But um, what I understand from this is uh, this is a gaming company that, um, you know, they had some um, gamers that follow or like the, the company. And like you said, they, this stock was being um, shortened by some hedge funds. So they, it was kind of a popular revolution in a way. Because they decided to show the market that we are strong. <laughs> this goes a little bit with the crowdfunding um, mentality or, you know, shared they economy broke, and all that. The and system. they said, yeah, we can, we can show that we are strong when we are together. So united, we, we are strong. Um, what came out of this um, um, event um, is that um, the banks, not the banks, but anyway, the big players um, got together and said, maybe we have to... <laughs> regulate this uh, this market better because uh, we want to avoid this from happening again in the future. Um, I don't know if um, if this is possible or not, uh, but we didn't have another event like this after that, right? So we had, well, well, something we need to understand is the field of finance is, is highly regulated for a reason, okay? People that entered this, this frenzy when it happened, some got hurt badly because mm -hmm. they lost almost everything they invested. Okay, so the regulation exists to protect individual investors that are not as sophisticated. What we mean by sophisticated is they don't really. What is not that they don't really understand, but they didn't have time to really understand uh, how the market works. Yeah, and how hurt you can be. Uh, so there are rules for a reason, and they are there to protect individual investors, okay? especially people that, um, I don't know, I'm just using, let's suppose someone that says, okay, you know, I will sell my house and invest in this because I can, you know, have three houses in three weeks mm -hmm. or something like that. They believe. They're trying to make a big play. So, but that's, that's dangerous because you may lose everything. So people tend to see the upside of the uh, stock market. But they not normally. They don't like to look at the dark side of the stock market. Oh yeah, market. and uh, there is also overconfidence. It's, it's not because you have made some gains that you will always make gains, right? Everybody loses at some point. You cannot beat the market every single time, right? Otherwise, <laughs> um, unless you have information that nobody else has, and that is illegal. But anyway, so um, I just think that people have to understand that. Um, it, there's nothing wrong with investing in the stock market. Um, I always say try to be there for the long run. Invest in companies that you trust, that you, you know you know will probably be there 10 years from now. <laughs> for sure. I actually have a quick question on that because like, when we talk about the market, um, it's something that I have someone that helps me invest. And I don't have to like choose a company. I don't have to like do the research um, because I find it very overwhelming to be like, I have to live my daily life, learn all the things I have to learn from my job and then my house and then all these things. And then keep my eye on my investments. So I have somebody. Um, is it more normal to have someone that's it's investing for you? Or do a lot of people actually manage their own investments from like what you've seen? And some of these new companies that are popping up websites that are, you know, um, doing all your investments for you. There's actually like algorithms and stuff that you, you know, you put your money into this and then you say kind of like what you want to do with it. And then it just like kind of does it for you. 
Yes, um, I'm not sure. I don't have those this, uh, statistics, but um, I know that Canada and the United States are the countries, um, I think Australia as well, uh, with uh, the largest percentage of their population that invest in the stock market. Uh, if they use an intermediary, like a, a financial advisor or something like that, mm-hmm. um, or not, I don't know. I, I, my, my perception is that people tend to use a financial advisor if they have a certain income that justifies having a financial advisor. Canada has the largest number of CPAs, uh, sorry, uh, CFAs, Chartered Financial uh, Analysts. Um, and I learned this uh, last year, which was very interesting, because a CFA is normally uh, someone that would advise us on uh, investments and, and all that. So uh, we are a very um, highly educated population, right? With uh, I think we have the largest percentage of um, people with an undergraduate degree in the world. So it uh, would make sense that we could invest um, independently uh, in self, self type of self-direct invest, investing. Um, and because, like you said, there are so many platforms nowadays that can help you. But at the same time, when you look at um, the number of stocks that you can possibly invest, that can be sometimes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you have to be following the news and following the, you know, what's happening to those stocks. Because, like I said, you can't, something can happen to that stock and you didn't see or you were working in your full-time mm-hmm. job and you missed. Yeah. And then you lost money on that because you, you were not paying attention because that's not, that's not your job. So sometimes to have someone uh, doing it for you is advised. I think it's like interesting that you said uh, Canada has this super high number of, of people with undergraduate degrees. Um, and to me, as someone who just graduated, I'm like, oh, does that mean we have like the highest amount of <laughs> student debt? Um, and debt is something I actually wanted to touch on just because um, it seems that in order to live and like to buy a home, to start a business, you have to live with an amount of debt. Um, so I've just always been curious, like what the role that debt what the role debt plays is and why we kind of seem to have this economy that relies on people living with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, whether it's from their home, from a car, from their education, credit cards. Like you can't get a credit card if you don't have debt, but you need that credit card to make debt to buy a house because you can't get a loan if you don't have debt. So good credit rather. Yeah. And and in North America, I find this a lot more than other other places as well is the, and maybe you could speak to that a little bit more too yeah that's um <laughs> welcome to capitalism that's how it works yeah. right uh but um that is something that like most things it's good and bad or can be good and bad um if you and it also depends the amount of debt you can take on depends on um your own life situation and 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 and, and what you are experiencing so if you have a full-time job and it's a, you know, um, kind of a secure job, you don't, you don't have, um, it's not seasonal, it doesn't depend so much on seasonality or um, there's nothing wrong with, with you adding more debt to your, to your uh, portfolio, mm-hmm. it, right? Uh, first, your house yeah, doesn't make, and, and because we have low interest rates, lower than other countries as well. That's why other countries have less debt than we do because interest rates are higher in other countries, because they actually have more inflation than us. So having low interest rates is an incentive for 
um, acquiring more debt. Yeah. Um, another point is um, student debt. I think that's very pervasive because you start your life with debt. And that, and that takes away from everything else you want to do with your life. Because the, the later you pay, you, you pay out your student loans is then when you start thinking about buying a house. Uh, and you may be like, I don't know, 35. That's, you know, delaying you starting your, your family and your life and having a more comfortable life. I mean, if I'm lucky, I'll finish paying off my student loans by the time I'm 50. So. I don't know if <laughs> I will ever pay them off. Yeah, so that that is really pervasive. So I think, um, anyway, that's my personal opinion, but, mm-hmm. but I think the government should have certain, you know, um, programs to avoid students or, or individuals starting um, their <laughs> adult life with such a huge debt level. Um, so if you look at Europe, for example, uh, post-secondary is for free or almost for free in most countries. Right, uh, it 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 kind of became part of your education, like mm-hmm. a, a basic education, post secondary, um, masters and doctorates. Well, they are more subsidized than other programs as well, but not everyone pursues a master and a PhD. So um, I think as a society, maybe we could start thinking about it, including you know um, lowering the part that students um, pay off their education, post secondary education, and. As we we have seen prices going up in post secondary across the country, and and anyway, so I think that's a, a discussion that we as a society uh, should be having. But um, coming back to that, I mean, if you plan well, um, you can actually build wealth with debt. Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> because if you borrow money, <laughs> and that that and, and that's something um, that is sometimes not straightforward, or you can see it directly, but. If you borrow money for, let's say, buying your first house, okay, um, at, I don't know, 2% a year, right? Uh, but let's suppose you had enough to give a down payment of, let's say, 30%, mm-hmm. okay? But you just give a down payment of 5% and you finance the rest. This extra cash that you had, you can invest in... Um, a mix of stocks and bonds. You can, you know, like a portfolio of investments that you decide what's best for you. And you are going to earn a higher return on that portfolio than what you actually pay for your mortgage. So that money that you would otherwise have invested in the down payment and avoided paying the, like, let's say, 2% interest in that low one, you are earning a higher return on that money, right? Oh. And if you invest in a, and if you use uh, that in an RR, it's like a registered savings plan, um, you are actually even avoiding paying taxes uh, today on your income because you are actually building up, right? Um, um, well, um, um, investments in, mm-hmm. in that uh, registered plan. So there, there is a lot of uh, planning that you can do around uh, your investments and a mix of, uh, you know, debt and investments. Uh, can actually maximize your overall <laughs> return. Let's let's call it this way. So, um, in that sense, a financial advisor can help you because uh, looking at your situation, how you know how many kids you have, if you're married, if you're not married, if you know what whatever is your life situation, they can build for you a plan that maximizes um, your return. Let's let's say. Okay, that's really interesting. Like kind of like. 
shuffling like loan money for your house, but then shuffling it into an investment that's actually going to create money while you're paying off your home. And then I just get lost because I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I can't even get to the first step. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't even get to the, to the home, home part. But, mm-hmm. you know, once I get there, that's really good information. And maybe there's other steps that I can take to um, get to that step financially. And I maybe get a CFA. So I want to double back a little bit because I think, I mean, obviously we have so many questions because financial literacy is not something that everybody learns. So it is hard to be like, okay, well, you know, what, what is debt? What is equity? What is finance? What is a CFA? What is a, you know, a chartered accountant do? So we got a little bit off track. Um, I do want to talk a little bit um, just about you as a researcher. So what kind of research um, do you do? My research um, is focused on looking at um, ESG, so environmental, social, and governance um, practices that companies, uh, you know, decide to have, and how that um, incorporating those uh, standards. And so I I look at how companies are ranked um, by certain ranks because we, we have indices that measure um, you know how well they uh, they they do in all those three um, components, uh, and looking at how well they do, uh, if this affects their uh, value, and by value I mean the valuation, the market value of the the company. Okay, okay. I just want to stop for one second. What is social governance? Uh, ESG. Yes. Environmental, social, and governance. Yes. What does that mean? Okay. Um, ESG is. Um, well, a term that we now use uh, to, um, you know, d- um, describe all activities that companies undertake before we used to call corporate social responsibility, which is, um, you know, any activities that the comp- companies, corporate, corp- uh, corporations mm-hmm. uh, undertake in order to, you know, um, improve the environment uh, or improve the social side of um, everything they do or any, any other thing. So, for example, we have companies that... Um, you know, um, help other charities um, in their um, social mission uh, because it aligns with what they believe is, you know, to be a good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that like social, con- like socially conscious corporations have been growing and growing and growing in popularity. I think since the general public has wanted to be a little bit more green, um, a little bit more ethical, a little bit more environmentally aware. Would this kind of be like? A company, like a big company, say Nike is putting out a sustainable clothing line, would that fall under ESG? Okay, so like any company that's like, we now make sweatshop free shirts, that's social governance. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so you are researching how these practices or these steps that they're taking um, affect their market value? Yes. Okay, what have you found? I found that yes, (laughs) it does affect positively their uh, bottom line. Um, and, and it is expected, right? Because, um, I think the challenge is to understand, um, through which mechanism this affects their market value. Um, even because we had for, we have been researching this for many, many years. That's not new, right? Now, now it has become, become a buzzy word or, you know, people all only talk about this. Um, but 20 years ago when we started, um, this wasn't a buzzword. Mm-hmm. And we were still trying to understand um, the mechanism of how it works. 
Because when you do research, um, you may not find a direct causality, which most people would say, oh, okay, this causes that. But if you look at correlations, you can find a correlation of, you know, among almost everything. Yeah. Right? So, but you have to explain why. You have to have a very um, robust theoretical framework that tells you, okay, this would this would be the way by which this this um, factor affects that other factor. Okay. So we build models and then we test. So we try to understand what how this effect was happening. Um, and then there are a few ways you can, you, can, you can map that. One is through sales, for example, so higher sales. So um, when companies um, have any of the actions like you mentioned, um, does people get aware of what they are doing or not? Because if, if we are aware, we can say, okay, I prefer to buy this product instead of that product because this company is actually doing something good for the environment or you know, they have a very nice social policy that I like. If it's not visible to people, then this mechanism becomes a little bit more difficult to be measured because it doesn't make its way to firm value. Mm-hmm. Or even we can, we can measure these other ways. We can measure return on investment, return on equity, re- other types of like more accounting returns. Um, but when uh, we have, so before we had fewer companies adopting ESG, right, initiatives. Yeah, because you said you started doing this kind of research 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah, before it was uh, just governance uh, and corporate social responsibility, like we used to call CSR. Yeah. And now uh, it has evolved to something much more complex and, and, and um, comprehensive as ESG. Okay. But, um, so anyway... That's it. We were trying to find uh, this kind of um, hidden link. <laughs> so where is the, you know, the really um, broken link? Or where, what, what is actually, what is the moderator factor uh, in this relationship? And, that, and, and we found some. Okay. And why did you start studying this? Like what interested you about um, ESGs or social corporate governance, as it were called before? Yeah, corporate governance um, is related to the way companies are governed. So their board of directors is a very important mechanism of governance. And, oh, okay. And, and how the board works and, and the relationship with the executive team and, and how um, decisions are made, uh, the decision-making, uh, denomination of board members, how many women do you have in your board, um, are the participation of women in your board meaningful or not? So... It, it has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. We, we were able to see that there were more factors than when we imagined in the beginning. But I think uh, the way, um, I, I had a class, I think, in my, in my PhD program um, about governance. And, oh, no, sorry. The, that was before. Because uh, when I went to do my master's, um, I had a professor, yeah. And he was studying corporate governance. And... We started talking, and I ended up um, studying the corporate governance of uh, venture capital funds, which is interesting because they have kind of a dual role principal agent um, with investors. They are an agent of the investors, but at the same time with the companies, they are a principal of the company. So it's a, it's a very interesting model. <laughs> yeah. um, Almost and seems that's like a conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of conflict. So uh, corporate governance 
it um, it actually um, has to do with co conflict, conflicts, co conflict of interest, and and many other conflicts. And 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 contracts cannot cover everything, every yeah. single possible situation that we will encounter in a relationship, right? Even though they try, you read some yes. of the fine prints on these, you're like. <laughs> Do we even need to worry about that? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> Someone has had that problem, so they include it in the next contract. Um, but we cannot, you know, map everything and, and include all, all single possible possibility. So corporate governance is important in that sense, that we have, you know, enough uh, flexibility at the same time as we have a contract to um, actually uh, mitigate the possible risks that we arise. There's no... Um, um, independently of um, you know anything else, but um, but that's why I started um, studying corporate governance, and then it just evolved. I don't know. Um, I think I went to um, I went to the UN uh, summit Rio Plus Twenty in 2012, and I was already doing research in ESG. <laughs> it had it was starting by then, um, and then when I went there, I was like, okay. The world is doing is doing a lot of things because uh, it's, it's nice to go to the summits because you can see uh, what people are doing in other parts of the world. And then you think, oh, my gosh, you know, like there's so much being done. And here we are in 2021 and <laughs> it's like almost 10 years. Late. And, and the, the Rio 2012 was Rio plus 20. So they were in 1992 talking about this. So, I mean, it's 30 years later. We're still here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope we can uh, really, you know, um, evolve to a much more sustainable world. Than oh, for sure. <laughs> so I have a question about, um, I mean, you, you've been researching finance for an extremely long time. So, you, I mean, you're, you're one of the m most experts in the field that I've, that I've come across in uh, finance anyway. But I just wanted to know if there was any, like, shocking or super interesting, like, what, was, what would be, like, your most shocking discovery in your research um, or the most interesting, I don't know. <laughs> Even like an interesting practice, like you just mentioned the summit in 2012, like what were some of the practices around the world that really interested you? And like, are there any promising practices you've seen coming out of research that could actually work towards that future you're talking about of like more sustainable um, businesses and maybe yeah, better? And when, when we, I guess when we were talking about ESGs, it, 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 this is going to flow right into our, our advertisement that's going to be coming up right away. So... Um, yeah, the floor is yours. Uh, that's a good question. Nothing that comes to my mind. Um, I think many things surprised me. Um, when you don't know anything and you start learning about something, you know, almost everything surprises you because <laughs> you look at, oh, I think one of the things that surprised me the most was, uh, this is not new now, but it was new at the time a few years back. Um, I went to a conference and there was those uh, ladies from uh, the... Um, Nordic countries, because they have a lot, they started the research board gender. So how the role, you know, the importance of having uh, more women in, in boards. And actually they were the, I think Finland was the first country that mandated at least 40% of the women to be, um, of the board to be composed by women. And anyway, they were presenting um, the, um, the results of their research that actually um, and they ended up writing a white paper that they sent to the government and, and they ended up developing this policy based on that. So they said, well, um, some bards have like a one woman, right? <laughs> and then they tick mark, you know, check mark. Uh, yeah. We have women on board. It's fine. And let's move on. So they sat with boards 
and they really said, like the researchers, and they looked at board dynamics. And what they saw is that um, you need at least three women to make a difference because we tend to be quiet when you are the only women and just say, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that or maybe it's not that important that I say that. Or, okay, maybe I should just agree with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But when you have at least three women in, a, in, in, the, in the board, um, they tend to support each other and, and then say, okay, actually, maybe what I have to say is important. And they, they may agree with me. You feel more comfortable voicing that. I mean, n- nowadays we, ha- we have walked a long way, uh, you know, since they realized that. But, um, and we are much better today. Although there is still a job to be done, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that for me was very surprising because I was doing my research and for me it was like a check mark. Ah, there is a woman in the board. Okay, check mark. You know. Yeah. And I said, oh, maybe we have to look at this differently. You have to look at like how important that one role is and if they're actually being heard. Well, yeah. Like I I've cooked for a long time, almost fourteen years, and. Being in such a male-dominated industry, when you are the only woman or female in the kitchen, you can get pulled over. And kitchens, I think, like the corporate world, have been boys' clubs for a very long time. Like the entire world. (laughs) Music, too. Yeah, music as well. So these areas where women have had to fight really hard to break in and get a a spot at the table, and then you're the only one, and you're like... I wish there was two more here with me. Yeah, even one or two. But you you do feel like you have an ally and you have someone to be like, hey, you know what? No, I don't think that's okay. Or, hey, both of us think that this would be a good idea and we represent 50% of the population. So maybe (laughs) you should listen. So, I mean, I do do understand that. and, And definitely, like, it makes perfect sense, especially... These people are running companies, and a lot of these companies are running the world. So I think having gender parity, and if you can't have parity, at least three. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Um, So, you know, speaking of ESGs, I think now is a good time to take a small break. This has been Research Recasted, and we will be right back. Are you ready to step up your juice game and get fancy? Try Glow Juices. They're a proudly Canadian company with locations all across Canada to serve you, the people, fresh, natural, and sustainable products. And they don't just do juice. Visit their website, glowjuicery.ca, for all sorts of goodies for your insides and your outsides, including fresh juices and raw food meal options, as well as face masks and all-purpose cleaners. You can hit up their Southside location or find select products at the Griffin's Landing Convenience Store here at McEwen. Grab some and glow up with Glow Juice. Welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. Today we're talking financial literacy. What the heck is that? I've never had financial literacy. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's benefiting me probably a lot more um, than most people because I am so financially illiterate. Um, Dr. Perez, thank you so much for for joining us here today. And what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, us just coming back, um, how did you make the shift from professional to academic and what kind of like fueled that? 
That's a great question. Because um, uh, when I finished my my bachelor, I went work for the industry and um, I was pretty happy. I had a good career. But then at a certain point, I thought that I wanted to <laughs> go back to school and, you know, do a little recycling. So I decided to pursue a master's degree. And I started stud studying um, my master's and I really liked it because, you know, you see new... I mean, I always liked to study and I always liked um, research. So I thought that was um, really exciting for me. But when I started, and this is back in Brazil where I lived at the time, and uh, there was a shortage of um, post-secondary um, uh, post um, instructors. So if you were doing a master's in a public university like I was, um, you would receive invitations to start teaching right away. So that's what I did. I started teaching on the weekends. It was pretty hard because, uh, you know, I had a full-time job and <laughs> I was doing my master's and I had to teach on the weekends. Oh, but, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but was very, very nice because I got to meet, you know, many other professionals and uh, other people and see a different side of life that uh, when you are just, you know, working in the industry, that's all, that's your life, right? You have mm -hmm. your, your office friends and that's it. So that was... Um, opened my mind and I, I, I was busy, but I was really happy. So when I finished my master, my master's, I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, think about pursuing this full time. <laughs> so, but for you to be an academic, you need a PhD. So that's when I decided to apply to a PhD program. And then I, I went to Spain to do my PhD. How was that? Like, <laughs> I, I've never been on that continent and I hear Spain is just beautiful. It is. Yeah. My family is from Spain. From so Spain. that's one of the reasons why I... And it was in Barcelona. Yes, yeah. in, in Barcelona, yeah. My husband and I, we, well, I got married in, in the meantime. <laughs> I had two kids and, and then uh, we decided that we wanted to move to Spain. Um, so my, my husband also did his PhD there. Wow, that's like that's two parents doing their PhDs, two kids. You guys are traversing the globe. And what what a great place to get your PhD because I know how much coffee I drink here in North America. And I hear the coffee in Barcelona is just second to none. It's very good, I have to say. <laughs> but they drink less because they drink espresso. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we went there and it uh, was uh, actually a, a great choice. Um, we did in two different universities. We didn't go to the same university. Um, but I loved it. And, uh, anyway, so we started, uh, working for the public university again. So he, before me, cause I had the little kids. Um, and, um, and after that, when we were about to finish our PhD is when, um, we met <laughs> the, um, Dean at McEwen at the time, the school of business. And, um, anyway, so then we end up here in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> just like that <laughs> long story short <laughs> and did you see yourself like we i have this conversation a lot with our guests um did you kind of know exactly where you were going and where like where you are now is exactly where you thought you would be no no not a chance <laughs> and that's the that's the exact same answer we get from all of our guests and it's so amazing to see and inspiring for someone who has no idea where i think i'm gonna end up in my final career, like I, I have a very good plan, don't get me wrong, but um, it's a lot, I find for a lot of students, especially young ones, um, especially when I was a younger student, um, it is so, the world seems so huge and you don't know the path that you're on is the right one, but you know, sometimes you don't know that 
it was the right one until you get there. So that's uh, always a great thing to hear. I love I love the reaffirmation of what <laughs> from other people. Yeah, yeah, and like even what you were saying about how um, your professor was studying these like ESGs, and then you studied it, and so many people, their body of research really started um, when they were a student. And I think that that's a great message for students is that like the research you do now can be serious and it can be a lifelong pursuit. So I'm always an advocate for like, take school seriously. You are going into a great amount of debt to be here. (laughs) So show up, (laughs) give a care and you know, you can do very exciting things. Um, Something I wanted to ask about was you do a lot of applied research, correct? Yes. Yeah. So can you just kind of help us understand like what um, applied research is, why it's important, and some of the examples of applied research that are being used um, in the Faculty of Accounting and Finance? I think the financial literacy project that we engaged uh, last year, um, four, we started five, then Indian four colleagues um, got together and we decided that we wanted to do something really applied. <laughs> um, and we uh, engaged in this um, research on financial literacy. And the idea was, our initial idea, and we are still doing it because uh, we are in the process um, of this research, was to understand um, how financial literacy can impact the life of our students, but years from now. Because normally we just look at um, some, if you, if you do a, you know, a literature review on um, a, li- a research in financial literacy, we look at some factors. So for example, which are important, very important, but always looking at the past. So demographics is very important. If you're a male or female, that is a factor. Um, male tend to have a higher financial literacy than female, um, probably because um, there is this um, common sense, I think, that um, men do better in math, right, than than girls in school. Not in my case. Not in our case, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where these statistics, st- statistics are yeah. coming from, but... I know a lot of boys that don't <laughs> like math either. So anyway, but th- there is this uh, sense that, you know, because uh, fewer women go to the um, you know, uh, STEM uh, professions, uh, STEM. And um, anyway, probably that. But gender is a very important factor. But also, if your parents uh, talked about finances when you're growing up um, and things like that. So uh, depending on your background, so if your parents... Um, if you have a, a, a parent that is an accountant, or if both are accountants, well, it's naturally that you know you would hear <laughs> just by hearing uh, they talk finance at home that you would uh, have a you know a better mm-hmm. understanding of. So those factors are important, and we knew, but we were interested in understanding. Okay, um, you are all here at you know uh, your first second uh, year at university now. If we um, introduce or if you we expose you to certain teaching treatments so for example a workshop or a, cl- a formal class or games or financial literacy modules that you complete on your own online right interactive um, so these different treatments uh, those that affect your finance uh, the, the literacy that you will have by the time you graduate and five years down the road like uh, five years after you have graduated have you paid off your student debt? <laughs> have you have you made you know better, more informed financial decisions? So that's the research that we decided to engage. So at this point, we collected some data, 
um, before the pandemic. And, and now we are at the point that we develop those treatments. So we have those financial literacy modules that we um, have made available to students. And now uh, we are on track to measure <laughs> them, uh, you know, a few years from now to see how that has affected your financial Yeah, literacy. and you found that the modules were the most, um, like, effective? We didn't measure that yet, but we are on track to measure. So oh, okay. Right now, students are being exposed to those modules, and we are collecting data before and after. Um, at the same time, if they complete all the modules, they can get a micro-credential, which is nice because you can use that, you know, in your LinkedIn profile. Well, yeah, or, and just yes. having that knowledge, and I think something that, like, a lot of people don't even understand what financial literacy is. Um, so could you explain what financial literacy is for us and our listeners, but also why it's really important? Well, it's important because, like I said, um, it influences uh, the outcomes you were going to have, or it can influence the outcome you are going to have in your life later on uh, in terms of wealth accumulation and comfort, the, the, comf the comfort level that you can achieve, right? Um, but financial literacy, normally people measure financial literacy with a few concepts so, for example, if you understand what's uh, compound interest rates, right? Can you make a simple calculation of compound interest rates? So, if you invest $100 today at 10% per year, how much do you have three years from now or something like that? Um, what we did is um, we created a, an extra layer of financial literacy that we call tax literacy. Because we realized that um, it's important to know those personal finance concepts that will help. So we, when you go buy a car, okay, uh, you bring your old car. You are still paying paying your payments on the old car, but you want a new car. Or you don't even want a new car. You're just looking at the, the dealership and, uh, and, the deal, and the salesperson calls you and says, come on, let's see what we can do for you. Mm -hmm. And you sit in that, in, in that uh, uh, chair um, you may be in trouble, right? If you yeah. don't oh, really yeah. understand. I've been, I've been in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't really understand what they are offering you and the options you have, because it's not always, okay, this is it. You will finance and that's the interest rate and that's how much you're going to pay. No, they include your old debt and then your new debt and then they put everything in us, you know, they do their magic and here is how much you're going to pay every week. Are you comfortable with this? That's the only number you look, but you don't have, you have no idea the amount of interest you're paying, mm -hmm. right? And you could have a much better deal somewhere else. For example, you could go to your bank directly and ask for a loan, a different loan. It doesn't even have to be a loan for a car. So those are the things, decisions that um, we have to make, not on a regular basis because we don't take loans every week, right? Yeah. But when you do one, it can affect your um, final outcome in terms of accumulating wealth, like I say, accumulating wealth, or like I say to my students, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, you, you were in the um, <laughs> restaurant industry, but I say, instead of having two drinks when you go out for a dinner, have one drink. The other drink you save. Yeah. <laughs> yes. okay. The money in your pocket. Let's just say the third drink the we save. Okay. <laughs> save that money and come back, talk to me in 10 years. Tell me how much you have accumulated if you do that right? Or we have a um, smoke cessation pro program, <laughs> and then we calculate in class how much you would save in 30 years if you stop smoking there's, today. Yeah, there's so many apps for these types of things right yeah. now, especially for the quit smoking app. 
it tells you per day how like how as you as as you're you're doing progress like it asks you did you have a smoke today no oh you saved this much today <laughs> and then at the end of your month it's like <gasps> thousands of dollars are, mm-hmm. are saved think about you know putting that towards an investment account and then earning interest yeah right so um so those are the decisions that normally covers financial literacy. But uh, as I was saying, we added this other construct that is tax literacy. And what we included in those modules is, you know, tax tips. Yeah. And tax tips may have a more important effect on your life than even financial literacy because you have to make tax decisions every year. <laughs> That's for sure, right? So like I said, having a registered um, um, investment, registered account, uh, Creating a registered education plan for your kids, avoiding them this huge um, student debt. Yeah. Because if you start when they are five years old, you put them in kindergarten and you start saving, even if it's like $50 a month, let interest rates and time work for you. That's it. Just let your work, your money work for you, right? Stop working for your money, mm-hmm. right? So those decisions that you make today um, will change your life 20 years from now. Wow. So do you, do you think that there's a kind of a disconnect between financial literacy between young people and not young people? <laughs> like somebody coming just out of high school versus, versus somebody who's in their late 30s, early 40s? Um, is there like a balance? And why, if, if so, like... Why do you think that it is that way? Yeah, like why do so many young people, um, I guess, struggle with financial literacy? Um, I know when I was a teenager, I didn't learn to do my taxes in school. Mm-hmm. And how can you not teach people to do their taxes? And just expect them to. Yeah, and luckily my mom the- was an accountant. So she showed me how to go through and be like, oh, you know, you can apply for this benefit and that benefit. If not, people are taking their mm-hmm. money to H&R Block every year and they're paying a portion, you know what? Save that. Like, do your own taxes. It's not very hard. So, yeah, I guess back to Dylan's question, like, why why is there a struggle with financial literacy? One factor that we identified in our research is life experience. So what does that mean? Young people, you are not faced with the decisions. Uh, like, you got a job. So you need to understand, okay, the tips, are you taxed or not? How do I account for that when I do my tax return? So if it's taxed, maybe I should have a savings account to, you know, accrue for the taxes I will have to pay because I'm not paying taxes on the tips now, like like with your inc- regular income that comes taxed, right? So um, having those decisions uh, make you search for information, so um, here in Alberta, we have in high school a course called Calm. Mm-hmm. Everybody in has, life management. Yes. <laughs> Everybody has to take this course. And they teach you financial literacy. They teach you personal finance concepts in this course. But we had the same question. We said, well, if students are learning in high school, those concepts, why are they, when they come here, we test them and they forgot everything. Yeah. They're right? like, poof. Why is it gone? Well, one of the reasons is, Unless, and this happens to any skill we have. If you don't use it, you lose it, Mm -hmm. right? So I learned, I heard about this, but what was that? So you forgot. But when you get older and you start 
having to make those life decisions is when you say, wait a minute, now I need to know. So I'm going to go Google search this or I will actually, you know, find that uh, personal finance book that I had. Mm -hmm. So you, you try to get information. And then is when your financial literacy increases or tend to increase if you do go and <laughs> find those resources, right? Out of you, necessity, you yes. just have to reinforce these, these theories and th yes. things. Hopefully they will. Because you should be looking for information before you make the decision, not after. Because then you feel guilty that you didn't. And that, that's not a good place to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm always playing catch up. You know, <laughs> I feel like I'm with my, with my finances. It's like, you know, you finally get ahead. And then you're like, man, I got some money. You, you want to go shopping? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of like, okay, how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? And I'm always caught up. So Well, you know, I, I think it's especially hard right now, like with the pandemic. Like food prices are astronomical. I didn't have work for 18 months in the music industry. Yeah. Um, a lot of people yeah. have gone through shutdowns. A lot of people have been laid off because no one's going out. So I think it's been particularly hard to try to find some kind of way to float and budget when you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to be on CERB. You don't know if you're going to be at work. You don't know if you're going to be working 20 hours or 40 hours. You don't know how much food is going to cost. And I think I saw some like really shocking numbers coming out just with like supply lines that groceries are, I mean, anyone who's grocery shopped in the last you year know. has been like, I can't like afford fruits and vegetables. Cause that's some of the stuff that's getting hit the hardest. So I guess my question is, um, you know, on the topic of money management, budgeting and kind of an uncertain world, um, do you have any tips or tricks or actually hold on? What are some of the biggest issues you're actually seeing with younger people um, with their money management? I think saving is number one for me because um, there, I think there is a misunderstanding among young people that they don't have enough money to save. It's saving or that is they are still too young to think about it. Um, and that could be further from truth because... The sooner you start, like I said, if in, even if it's $20, $30, it doesn't matter. Just have this account. Um, and because you're young, you have time to take, you have time to recover in the case of a crisis. So you should take more risks in terms of uh, invest, investing. So don't be afraid of uh, investing in, you know, uh, equities, st stocks. Why? Because, like I said, you have time to recover, even if there mm -hmm. is a, another financial crisis. A person that is approaching retirement should be more cautious because we don't have that much time. But young people, you don't. So, and always, if you don't want to think about it, just, and again, I'm not giving any financial advice. Yeah. <laughs> These are just tips that I give to my kids, right? So, take your tax return, for example. Um, just don't count on it. Just take your tax return. Start a savings account, you know, direct investment, if you want. Buy two or three stocks that you like, companies you like. You don't have to, you know, do a lot of research. Just buy companies you trust and that you believe will be here, you know, 20 years from now. You don't have to go further to find them, right? So, um, and I have students that came back to me a few years later and said, Professor, thank you so much. You told me that. I did it. And now I'm going to Hawaii. I had one Amazing. <laughs> with the money that I make. 
So, I mean... Uh, That's how people go on vacations. Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> yes. Why, why I've never had one. Yeah. <laughs> but though, saving. Saving is... This is going to save you, okay? Uh, so, start saving. Uh, as young as you are, it doesn't matter how much you do. But um, it's like the... Um, I don't know, baby steps, okay? But you mm-hmm. will get there, and uh, in a few years, you're going to say, well, wh-? or just leave it there. Don't look. Just forget. And you come back sometimes and say, oh, wow, it has grown, right? It's money that I have there. Anyway, so that's one. The other is always ask questions. If someone offers you an investment or an investment or a low one, because you will be taking more low ones mm-hmm. if you're young, because it's part of life, um, Ask questions, shop around, don't take the first offer just because the person is nice. All salespeople are nice, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's why they're salespeople. Yeah, exactly. So you have to, um, even with insurance, shop around, don't accept the first offer, um, try another broker. I don't know if you're not satisfied, but shop around and try to get the better deal you can. Perfect. Wow. Thank you. Um, you. You say, like, I tell my students this, I tell my students this um, a lot. And I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, as someone who was a professional, who is now an educator and a researcher, what kind of experiences from your time as a student have you incorporated into your work as a teacher? I think many, uh, (laughs) because I think uh, the way uh, you experience education is the way it ends up shaping your teaching and, you know, in a way, um, I try to be um, fair because I, I think to be fair is my main my main priority. Uh, at the same time, I'm I'm um, you know I like my students to love what they do, um, and like you said, you both said finance. Oh, it's so difficult. Oh, it's and there is a reason why finance has this. Um, I don't Stigma. know, kind of yes. Um, the, <laughs> everything that is related to finance is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have students that says, oh, prof, I never, ever look at the financial news. Never, I never, I, when they were showing the, I was like changing the channel or, yeah. you know, and now I want to, at least I want to hear, I want to see what's happening to the market because you dismystified what is in there. Right. So I think. Like everything that you you see like a monster and then you start, you know, oh, no, that's not that ugly, right? I can't understand that. It's not that complicated as long as you break it down to them. So I think that that's how I came to like finance because I had professors that were passionate about um, about finance and that's how I loved it. Um, I ne- They never said to me, and that's the fair part. I'm going to be fair. It's not easy. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you and say, Ah, uh, this is so easy. It's like a breeze. No, it's not. You have to put the time and you have to study because the concepts are more complicated than other concepts you would, you know, see in other in other courses. But as long as you put the time and you are genuinely interested, you will love it in the end. And so far has been, you know, for the majority of them, they really like the 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 course afterwards and they say, "Well, that has really contributed to my life ultimately." Because it can, it can really be applied to your life. And I think that's so fantastic, this idea of demystifying it, because you're right, like even 
um, looking through your body of research, I was like, that is a lot of $10 words. And it scares me, not in the sense of like, it's a spooky monster, but- Are they $10 words because of inflation? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. And where do you start when you don't even know where to start? Um, but I think that's a really beautiful way to put it is you, don't go you to mystify <laughs> this and then you can understand it and then it becomes like interesting. And I think that that's, that's really great. What do you think about another little break, y'all? I think a break right here would be great. We got a little bit that we want to say. And uh, here's Brittany to talk a little bit more about that. In case you didn't know, November is Financial Literacy Month. What a coincidence. Am I right? So... Keeping that in mind, we want to remind everyone the views and opinions and information in this episode are not meant to be financial advice, and they should not be taken as such. If you are interested in gaining some financial literacy, check out the links in the episode description and stay smart. Welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Eloisa Perez on all things finance, what we, you know, we've kind of dived into what finance is, what it's all about. We talked about a little bit of financial literacy. Um, and now we just, as we're getting closer to the end of the podcast, we wanted to ask, like, what are your plans for the future? And what, you know, what are the cool things that you're working on? Obviously, like the, our world is constantly evolving. Every industry is so different. I'm sure there's so much advances, even in your own field that you might want to tell us about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, many plans for the future. Um, we are um, in the second phase of this uh, financial literacy research that I mentioned before. So um, hopefully uh, being able to collect data by the time our um, first um, students uh, graduate and measure their level of financial literacy at graduation. And parallel to that, um, I'm starting this year another research project on uh, data analytics, because data analytics is uh, an, um, an area that um, has become very important for accounting. It's important for everything. I love oh, I analytics are like the best feedback you can get. Even our podcast, we are like, we, ha we can get analytics about where our listeners are from and things like that. So yeah, analytics, yeah, I love it. Yeah, just for those that don't know what data analytics are. Could you just explain that um, and then kind of explain what data analytics in accounting are? Okay. So data analytics um, is, uh, like he was saying, is based on analytics about everything you can imagine. So we have, uh, um, with the advent of internet, uh, data has become a lot more available than before or than ever before. So we have all these lots of data and we started analyzing it not long ago. Um, so now, um, what we are trying to um, do in, in, in a more structured way is to teach students, uh, because they will be faced with all these, uh, you know, uh, large sets of data that they will have available for them um, when they start working by, time, by the time they, they finish school. Um, and how can you get or obtain or calculate <laughs> uh, meaningful uh, information out of this data? So, like um, he was saying, he said, oh, we know where they are from, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our listeners are from. Is that important to you? Is that relevant to you? Maybe there is some other, um, you know, measures you would like to, to learn. So, the data is there. 
Uh, it's all about extracting the information that is relevant to you and that will inform the business you work for to make more, um, you know, better decisions and create more value. So that basically that's what we try to do with data analytics in accounting is looking at all the data that the company has access to and creating um, meaningful analysis that hopefully we can put in a nice visualization um, 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 uh, format um, and uh, convey the message that we want as accountants to uh, the managers to make better decisions. Yeah, is this like data from customers, data from the market? Like I'm just trying to wrap my head around like what what kind of information accountants are gathering and what kind of information is useful to, to you guys? Any sort of information <laughs> now it's from the, from clients, from markets, from uh, suppliers, from your supply chain, from uh, your employees, for from anyway, from from the government. Okay, so literally Marketing. every data. <laughs> yes, every possible. data that is out there uh, is useful. the The challenge, I think, is um, the majority of data today is unstructured. So it's in the form of videos, um, you know, pictures, uh, t um, conversations that we have. Um, and this and this data has to, you know, is not easily accessible in a way like you look at that, oh, okay, I can ma make, you know, I can get information from this. No, you can't. You have to really uh, work the, the, the data to get, um, you know, to something that you can actually um, use. draw, use and draw meaningful conclusions. So, um, that is uh, where, you know, certain um, techniques come into place. Um, and that's where we are. Uh, so what I'm, my research is looking right now or wants to look is, okay, what is the best way to teach students <laughs> data analytics? Uh, what's the more effective way? Um, because um, traditionally, a business student um, doesn't know a lot of programming or doesn't know a lot of, you know, statistics beyond what was, you know, required for a finance course, for example. Um, so now, uh, because we are starting to incorporate data analytics into our curriculums, um, what we have to do is to figure out, okay, how do we better teach this to our students? What is the prerequisites that they may have to have in order to, you know, um, fully... Um, uh, understand a data analytics course and making sure that like future customers, they're they're delivering what what those future customers needs and addressing those needs right. Like when we're talking about, um, we were talking with um, Isabel Sperano and and um, Robert Andruco. Yeah, Robert Andruco in one of our past episodes, and they deal in user experience design where they take analytics and find and find out exactly kind of what the users want from the experience whereas when it comes to um, taxes or not taxes but you know f finance and things like that um, got to see what the end user how they're going to use this information and how you are going to use this information to yeah anticipate um, their needs i understand um what you're saying before about this course is uh, this is called design thinking and um the way we design our products based on user experience. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's related to data analytics, even for accounting too, because what, we, what an accountant do, uh, does is, <laughs> in a way, we translate, <laughs> right? We translate all this information, financial information, and, um, and, and, and all this 
huge amount of information that we have, and we have to summarize it and communicate to uh, other people in the organization that not necessarily understand uh, the financials the, fin the financials as we do, mm -hmm. right? But now it's not only the <laughs> financial information. We have all this other data that is out there. And I think that's an opportunity for accountants to, you know, become those uh, stewards of data and, and really convey the, the message that the data is showing, in transforming it in, in, into relevant information and useful information that we will inform the, the manager and the executives of the organization to make better decisions that will create value for the business. So um, ultimately, yes, it will inform design thinking because depending on what our clients want or are telling us they want, or we would have to do a lot of interpretation, mm -hmm. right, of this and, and a lot of um, hypotheses <laughs> to create some hypotheses on what we think. But anyway... Um, is informing them or say, okay, this is what we are seeing here. That's a trend. Um, how can we develop better products based on uh, what people want? I mean, this sounds like, I mean, data analysis, I think probably in every faculty, every discipline, you need to know how to interpret data. And especially with everything being online, everything being digital, being able to interpret that digital data is very important. Um, do you think the kind of data analysis that you're studying or working with right now can be applied like universally or are the skills that you're looking at very specific to accounting and finance? I think the skills are not specific, mm -hmm. but the data is, um, is more specific. So when I um, show my students data analytics in auditing, then it's just more specific to auditing the auditing function or in taxation, but it's just the type of data that we are dealing with. And then the techniques, the techniques are more or less the same mm -hmm. um, for across data analytics in general, right? But, um, and they all um, sort of come from statistics because it's basically statistical analysis, advanced statistic, statistical analysis yeah. and data visualization. Um, but the application is different where uh, the type of data we are using and the questions we are asking I think the okay. questions we are asking is where we uh, differ. Yeah, when I hear data analysis or data analysis, I'm like, I can create a pivot chart, you guys. Oh, um, okay. So that's data analysis, right? Um, yes. So, but it is a skill that you you need to learn, and like even in journalism, if you're looking at a, a public report that is a CESV or something, being able to like isolate to search for that little bits of information is very useful. So I think I was like, oh, you just you just teach them how to make pivot charts. It's great. Um, but no, okay. I get it now. I get it now. Um, it can get a little bit more complicated. Yeah, exactly. Well, that shows get you how much... a lot more much, complicated. Shows you how much of a data analysis um, that I am. So that's what you're working on um, right now? Yes. Okay. And sorry, where are you in that project? We just started. Just, just started. Okay. Started teaching, yeah, data analytics um, in our program. That's very exciting. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Is there is there anything else that you um, are working on that you wanted to to mention? Um, no, I think I'm. I have my plate very full right now because <laughs> <laughs> I'm also teaching my full course load. Oh yeah, that that's that's so. Um, that's a, that's a lot. 
So, you know, we, we appreciate a ton and that you, you were able to take the time to, to come and chat with us today to help, I, I suppose, form of disseminating your research. But it, um, yeah, it was, it was great chatting with you. I don't know. Yeah, and the patience to answer all of our <laughs> questions about debt and the stock market and things that maybe weren't directly related to your research, but that I think are very, very helpful and handy for everyone to know. Um and again, it is Financial Literacy Month, and I think it's really important that people just understand these processes that really do govern so much of, of what we do day to day. I really wish we would have had this conversation about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, but it's never too late. It's never it's too never late. It's never too late. Yeah. So before we let you go, um, I just want to open it up to you. If you have any last minute shout outs, calls to action, tips, tricks, um, anything you want to plug or even anything that you have like prospective students, anything you want to say about the program um, itself, just anything. This is the floor is yours. It's all you. <laughs> I just want to thank you for, you know, you inviting me to be here. It was a pleasure. Um, yes, our program is accredited by CPA, the uh, Chartered Professional Accountants of Alberta. Um, it's an excellent program. And like I said, there are uh, tons of opportunities for students to do um, experiential learning. Um, we have a tax clinic that we run, we run every year here at McEwen. Um in 2019, we filed more than 900 returns. Um, last year was a little bit less because of the pandemic, but still, we, um, despite of um, you know um, having the pandemic, we still run the clinic, and it was a success. So um, we have many opportunities for students to um, you know practice accounting before they go out there and uh, start working for an accounting firm or for um, you know the government or starting their own practice or whatever they decide to do. So um, I invite them to check out our uh, department website. And if they have um, any questions to contact us, because we are here to, to help them. Sure. And we'll throw a description. Uh, sorry, we'll throw, we'll throw links and, and ways to contact those, those places uh, in the episode description. So if anybody's interested, you know, just check down below and there'll be lots of, lots of information down there um, regarding this yeah thank you again eloisa thank you thank you thank you so much <laughs> you. That, that was a, such a great conversation um thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you want to keep the <laughs> i can't go wait you want me to do it yeah thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you want to keep cashing in on today's conversation don't forget to check out the links in the episode description this has been research recasted a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the office of research services and the faculty of fine art and communications at McEwen university in edmonton alberta you can support this podcast by listening on your favorite podcasting platforms with new episodes every other week. And don't forget to follow and give us a like on Instagram at Research Recasted. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design, and editing by me, Dylan Cave, with research, copy editing, and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Executive producers are Cynthia Pudu, Jason Malenko, and Ray Burry.